At the owners' meetings in Orlando this week, the process has already begun to confirm David Rubenstein as the new owner and control person of the Baltimore Orioles. But once he gets that power here sometime fairly soon, what should his to-do list be? What should the first three things David Rubenstein does as Orioles owner? We'll get to that coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at David Rubenstein, who at some point here fairly soon in the calendar year 2024 is going to become the full owner and control person of the Baltimore Orioles after he agreed to buy the team from John Angelos last week. And the question now becomes, what should Rubenstein immediately do? Because this team is already set up well. They already won 101 games last year. They just brought in Corbin Burns. They're trying to win a World Series in 2024. But there are still things that need to be changed, need to be fixed, frankly, from the Angelos era. I'll talk about what three things Rubenstein should do first coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. So the to-do list for David Rubenstein, newest owner of the Orioles, worth about $4 billion, maybe even 5 according to some estimates, big-time patriotic philanthropist. He is going to start, once this is approved by the owners, by owning 40% of the Baltimore Orioles with the option to essentially purchase the rest. And basically how this deal is going to work is that once Peter Angelos passes away, and he's 94 years old and has not been in good health at all, basically in failing health for the last six-plus years— Rubenstein could purchase all of the Orioles. But the important thing to know is, even with the 40% that Rubenstein will initially get, he will be considered the control person of the Orioles, which means he will be the decision maker. De facto, he will be the owner of the O's. That's not official yet, but the process began on Wednesday in Orlando. The MLB owners are meeting down in Florida this week. And although it's a longer process and they're not going to confirm Rubenstein this week, Sources have told the Baltimore Sun, there was a great story in the Sun on Wednesday, that the owners have already discussed David Rubenstein and they have begun the vetting process on the owner. And in that story in the Sun, it was talked about that, hey, all of these owners already know David Rubenstein. They know who he is. He's been such a public billionaire with the work that he does that it's going to take a lot less time to vet him as an owner. And the Sun story talked about how it could take as little as like six weeks and he could be officially the control person before opening day, which would be an incredibly quick timeline, but it is a possibility. So once that does happen, what should Rubenstein do? I've got three things for his wish list or my wish list, really his to-do list on today's episode. And let's start with number one. That is the big one. Open up the checkbook. Now, this is something we know John Angelos just did not do as Orioles control person. But it's not exactly an Angelos thing. When Peter Angelos bought the team back in 1993 out of bankruptcy court, 
paid a record then for a professional sports franchise in the U.S., $173 million for the Orioles. Yeah, I think he got a pretty good return on investment considering they're selling for a $1.75 billion evaluation. He had high payrolls, and the Orioles actually in 1998 had the highest opening day payroll in baseball. That was coming off that great 1997 season. In the 90s, they were in the top 10 every year. And even in the Buck Show, Walter Dan Duquette eras, the Orioles did get up to 10th in payroll and were always generally in the top half of baseball. So they have even spent money. But once John Angelos kind of took over in 2017, 2018, and then was named the true control person in 2020, there was no money being spent at all. And the Orioles, even with what they did last year, 101 games, AL East champions, best record in the American League, they are still only projected to have the 27th highest payroll in baseball heading into 2024. And that's even with Corbin Burns adding him, who's going to make about $16 million this season. So you add a $16 million player and it only jumps you from 28th to 27th. That is concerning for how low their payroll is right now. It is projected at $96 million, not even crossing the $100 million threshold for 2024. Now, me telling David Rubenstein to open up the checkbook does not mean that the Orioles have to go out. You know, it's not going to be done in time for this offseason, but next offseason, for example, and dish out the big money to every single free agent and build the team like that. Mike Elias has done a great job building the team the cheap way. He got to 101 wins. But nobody wins with a payroll this low. If you go back basically over the last decade, of World Series winners, right, in the modern era of baseball. Your lowest payrolls were the Royals in 2015 and the Astros in 2017. The Royals were 17th in opening day payroll in 2015, and the Astros were 18th in 2017. Those two teams won the World Series. Those are by far the lowest payrolls that have won the World Series in the last two decades, essentially. It is generally, the high payroll teams. And basically, you can lock it in at this point that a team in the top 10 of opening day payroll will win the World Series. That is just how the game is played and how things operate at this point. And even when you look at those Royals and Astros teams, you could say, oh, the O's can do that. Well, the Orioles aren't 17th and 18th. They're 27th. And the other thing here is those teams were kind of like the O's in that they had crazy good young talent on that team. A lot of cost-controlled, a lot of pre-arbitration talent. The Royals did not add around it, and they fell apart fairly quickly. The Astros started to spend that money, did add around it, and oh, look at that. Multiple World Series championships, six consecutive ALCS appearances. Those are the two different paths the Orioles could go from here if you're just going to compare them to the Royals and the Astros, the lower payroll World Series champions. So still, they need to go that Astros way of now starting to spend to get back into it. Just look at the last six World Series champions since the Astros won in 2017 and then started to spend. Red Sox in 2018, top payroll in baseball on opening day. Nats in 2019 were seventh. Dodgers in 2020 had the highest payroll in baseball. Braves in 2021 were 10th. They were still in the top 10. That was because they had extended all of those players to those cheap extensions at that point. That was the only reason why they were 10th. Astros, when they won again in 2022, were up to 8th. And then the Rangers, the winners last year, had the 4th highest payroll in baseball. 
I'm not saying it is a one-to-one exact correlation and causation here, but you need to be spending some money to keep the team together. And I understand the Orioles could definitely win the 2024 World Series, and they could do it with the 27th payroll in baseball. It'd essentially be a record for Major League Baseball for a team with that low of a payroll to win the World Series. But to sustain that success, you have to do what the Astros did. They started with a low payroll, and they start to tick it up and up and up and up. And the Corbin Burns trade is a great sign in that direction. But I need David Rubenstein to be willing to just tick it up and up. Again, you don't have to jump it from $96 million this year to $200 million next year. That does not have to happen. But a payroll of $151 million would put the Orioles at 15th in baseball, would put them in the top half of teams. You know, add a little bit here, a little bit there. You add $50 million in payroll next offseason. That's not like you're breaking the bank for a million players, but you're getting into more of a competitive window. And here's the thing. This is more about David Rubenstein telling Mike Elias, the checkbook is open for when you need it. So yes, your model can do these great things, right? And, and pluck these players out of the draft and pluck these players off waivers and sign a guy for a, a cheap one-year deal, fix him a little bit, you know, find the Ryan O'Hearn, find the in-year Cano, even finding the Kyle Gibson, who I think gave them more than they thought last year. But now you can open up your model to every player out there. Right now, the Orioles have their internal model trying to, you know, equate dollar figures to, you know, player production and how they can change and improve a player. But it's only open to like half the players every year in free agency because the top half was deemed too expensive for John Angelos to spend. And some of it is Mike Elias and Sig Dell. They do come from a spot in the Astros and a lot of their theories were, hey, we enjoy the challenge here. We enjoy the challenge of the low payroll. We like to get into the nitty-gritty and find any little space we can to get an edge and build a team that way. And that's really, if you read you know, the book Winning Fixes Everything by Evan Drellick this year, which was about the Astros cheating scandal, but really looked into the entire Astros organization throughout this, I don't know if it's a dynasty, but it's been pretty close what Houston has been doing, you get some insight into Sig and Mike Elias about how they like to operate in that situation. So it's not 100% an Angelos thing. But just telling Mike Elias, hey, Open up your model to every player. And if that model tells you, you know what? We can still build a good team with, you know, bringing up these young players and drafting well and having them cheaper and pre-arbitration. But if that model tells you that, you know what? Adley Rutschman's going to be this good for this long. Let's extend him. Gunnar Henderson's going to be this good for this long. Let's extend him. And if it tells you, you know what? Hey, next offseason, the one player we might need is just another good starting pitcher. Corbin Burns isn't going to come back. He's going to sign elsewhere. We know Zach Wheeler is going to be expensive. But if your model says Zach Wheeler at the top of this rotation makes us the best team in the American League, here is all the money you need to make that signing. And even if that's the only big signing you make next offseason, that takes the team to even another level. And that is where I need Rubenstein to be. It's not David Rubenstein, you know, jumping in on Elias saying, I'm telling you what to do. I'm going to be involved in baseball operations like Peter Angelos was and saying, we're signing this guy, we're signing that guy. No, no, no. Just saying, hey, Mike, open up your model to everyone, even the expensive free agents. And if some of those expensive free agents fit your team and can make us this much better, here is that blank check to go get them. And whether it's Zach Wheeler or Corbin Burns or Max Fried or Walker Bueller, who will all be free agents next offseason and would all be perfect fits for big starting pitching contracts for the Orioles, that is where they need to open the money. But even more importantly could be, as I mentioned, 
extending those young stars, keeping Adley Rutschman around, right? He might be the best example here of an extension. John Mioli had a fantastic piece in the Baltimore Banner earlier this week talking about, okay, the Orioles, they might now have the money and have the owner that wants to give out extensions. Well, who would actually accept them and what would they look like? It was a really good story and it talked about how Adley might be the top candidate, not just because he's so successful on the field, but because he's becoming like the aura about him, like the leader of this Orioles team. And the moment he came up, kind of flipped this rebuild the other direction. But also the fact that catchers don't generally age well. I mean, even you've got a guy like Joe Maurer who just got into the Hall of Fame and a guy like Buster Posey who just retired and is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, they had high peaks, but they also had shorter careers because catching takes a large toll on your body. And those guys even had to move out to first base at the end of their careers defensively as well, at least for part of those seasons. Adley is not going to be the same player he is now in 10 years at 35. And when he you know, hits free agency right around 29, 30 years old, he might be a little worried that, hey, is my body already so broken down because of everything I gave to the Orioles that I'm not going to get that big contract in free agency? The fix there is signing him to an extension, maybe buying out, you know, three more years on the end of his contract, three more years into free agency, offering him, you know, $25, $30 million per year in those three years, getting him to sign on for longer. And it's probably something that would work for both sides. Now, I understand that trying to get, you know, Gunnar Henderson or Jackson Holiday to sign a long extension, that's going to be tricky. Their agents are Scott Boris. Boris's clients have never accepted an extension this early. I think he's only had one client accept an extension when they were more than one year away from free agency and only a handful of guys have gotten an extension even in their year before free agency. Like it generally does not happen. But the Orioles could change that if Gunner or Jackson likes where they are and the O's do make a serious competitive offer similar to what the Royals just gave to Bobby Witt Jr. 11 years, $289 million with an option for three more years at the end of that as well. It's got a lot of player options, team options. It's kind of good for both sides. If they could get something done like that with Gunnar Henderson, do it. Or even if it's slightly smaller extensions, if Jordan Westberg becomes a guy, or if Grayson Rodriguez or Kyle Bradish, you want to give them that money, or even the ones that are coming up sooner, John Means, Anthony Santander, free agents, after this year, Cedric Mullins, a free agent after next year, even giving those guys a few more years because you have the money to do it. And the best thing about it is, even if you're not going to go raise the payroll to, you know, 200 million, 250 million right away, that's okay. I don't need Rubenstein to do it. Elias has shown they can operate with this low payroll and be good. But what the money, the influx of cash potentially from David Rubenstein gives you is the ability to miss. Right now, when you are operating with the 27th payroll and these kind of constraints, the Orioles basically did not miss, except for on Jack Flaherty and Michael Givens. And those were fairly inexpensive moves last year. They hit on everything else. The money gives you the ability to miss. If you go sign a starting pitcher for a three-year, $75 million deal, and he gets hurt and gets Tommy John surgery, that's okay because you know David Rubenstein will step in and give you the money to go get another pitcher. Like, this would be a horrible scenario, but if Corbin Burns went down with a serious injury at some point this season, as long as Rubenstein takes over as control person, you would hope that he would be willing to send some money out there and help the O's go get another ace-type guy at the trade deadline to keep things going at this point. That would be the huge influx of the cash right now. And again, it's not Rubenstein stepping in, making his own decisions. It's saying, Michael Elias, hey, you've got this money in your back pocket. 
if you identify the right player to do it and you've got this fallback option if we spend a little bit and it doesn't work we have some more money where you're not that cash strapped and constrained like they used to be but that's the big one here right that is the number one like the Orioles have been operating basically penny pinching for six seven years at this point let's flip it to some of the more off the field things coming up next and let's talk about Masson right there are some things that Masson does well and there are some things that they don't. And David Rubenstein, with Masson being involved and included in this sale, could make some changes. We'll talk about what they could be coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Now, as we get closer and closer to the Major League Baseball season, you start to think about tickets. And when you're thinking about going to Oriole Park at Camden Yards, you might want to check out Game Time because you shouldn't have to worry when you buy your tickets for the next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. I've used Game Time plenty of times, and the best part about it is they've got flash deals at the last second. I have multiple times been standing on Utah Street right outside the stadium, got on the Game Time app, found a flash deal, gotten a cheap ticket, hit by the ticket, and it appears right on your phone. You don't have to wait for an email. You don't have to wait for a text. It appears right in the app. I walk right up to the gate, get it scanned, and I am in to watch the Orioles. That's how easy it is at Game Time. So you can take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So, of course, the big number one thing for David Rubenstein to change once he does get approved and take over as Orioles owner and control person here, hopefully in the next few weeks, maybe even before opening day, the way the timeline's going. Big thing is influx of cash, right? Spending more money on this team. And it's not going to be hard to spend more money on this team because John Angelos is basically spending no money at all on this team. But number two on my to-do list for David Rubenstein once he takes over is make a decision and hopefully some improvements for Masson. Now, right now, Masson is a good and a bad thing for the Orioles. It's a good thing because the O's own it. They get a lot of revenue from it. And it's not part of Bally Sports, which is failing right now and putting a lot of teams in weird TV situations and sometimes spending situations. That's not the case for Masson. And actually, Masson's in a better spot now than it was a few years ago because they've gotten out of these lawsuits. They've agreed to multiple payments with the Washington Nationals about what the payouts will be to the team in D.C. And that has helped Masson and probably cleared things up for this sale to eventually happen. But there was a big piece of reporting that was in the article in The Athletic that was written by Ken Rosenthal and Britt Giroli about the sale and about the inclusion of Masson in the sale that there has been talks that once Rubenstein does acquire Masson, he could flip it to Ted Leonsis. Ted Leonsis is the owner of the Washington Capitals, the Washington Wizards, and the Washington Mystics in D.C., and he also owns and operates Monumental Sports Network, which is the broadcast network that it was kind of Comcast Sportsnet at one point, then NBC Sports Washington, and now it's Monumental Sports Network that broadcasts all of the Capitals, Wizards, and Mystics games, and those broadcasts in that channel, it comes up to the Baltimore area as well. 
that he would take it over. And, and they were unsure. There wasn't in the reporting, like, would it just become a part of Monumental? Would it be a break off of Monumental? Would it keep the massive name? But he would operate it out of the Monumental Studios. All of those things, I think, could be improvements because not only do they broadcast all of the games for those teams, but they also have streaming options and they don't have the best streaming options in the world. It could still be better, but you can stream the Nats or excuse me, not the Nats can't stream the Nats, the Caps, the Wizards, the Mystics. You can't do it with the Orioles at this point. I mean, Masson could not be further behind the times in that spot. At least with all these Bally networks, you can stream them. It's 2024. We need to get to a point where if you don't have cable, direct TV stream can't be the only way to watch the Orioles. That's how it is right now. If you don't have a cable subscription in market that gets the Orioles, you can either be out of market and get MLB TV and watch the O's. You can do some finagling that if you know, you know, and I won't get into further on the podcast, or the only way to stream it in market if you are a cord cutter and don't have cable is DirecTV Stream. That is the one kind of streaming service that allows you to get Masson. The issue is, it seems like the biggest one of those streaming platforms that people use to watch TV in this area, and it seems like for some in the country, is YouTube TV. A lot of people like that product and use that product. And for some reason, Masson is still not on YouTube TV. So if you cut the cord and you get rid of cable or you never had it in the first place, you got to have one thing if you're in market to watch Masson. And if you don't have it, you're out of luck unless you have those other avenues. It's frustrating for a lot of people. And I know a whole lot of people who if Masson said, all right, we're going to streaming. You pay one flat fee for the year and you can stream every single Orioles game that we have on Masson. Now, it wouldn't include every game because as the O's get better, they'll have more games on Sunday Night Baseball and more games on Fox. And they'll have a couple of the games on Peacock and you know one or two of the games on Apple TV on Friday nights as well. But you can guarantee you to get at least 150 of the 162 games and probably something closer to like... 155, 156 of 162 for one flat rate. And I don't really know what that price would look like, but it wouldn't be anything crazy because you're just getting the streaming for the games. I know a lot of people who would pay a solid price for that subscription, just that, just getting the Orioles. That's got to be the number one step here is to make that happen for Masson. Whether they stay in the Rubenstein ownership or they go to Ted Leonsis and Monumental Sports, that has to be the number one thing. And also, maybe have some more programming. I mean, at this point, you've got, you know, a short O's Extra pregame and postgame show sometimes. And that's it. That's all you got on Masson. I mean, I feel like they're not even showing, like, wall-to-wall baseball or that show with Tom Davis anymore. Which, I'm not saying that was the best TV in the world, but it was some sort of Orioles-centric programming. You turn on Masson at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday, I mean... You're probably watching the 2011 World Series of Poker. I mean, can, can we get a little bit of programming here? Like, you turn on Masson, they got a 7 o'clock huge September game. You turn it on at 5.30, and you're probably watching Motocross from 2006. I mean, that is what the, the streaming or, or the what they show on Masson is at this point. Like, let's maybe invest in some other programming, some midday, you know, Baltimore sports talk shows, some Orioles specific shows using your digital team and, you know, the talent over there to produce more for you and get on air more. And that is the other big thing they could do 
pump some more money into Masson. Their resources are stripped down to the bones. And it's because John Angelos owned them too. And just like he stripped down the resources of the Orioles, he did it to Masson as well. And there are some great people who work for Masson and help put on still a solid product. But if they were given more people and better resources, think of how much more they could do at that network. That needs to be the big thing. And also, wouldn't be a bad idea to keep Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald and Jim Palmer around to be one of the best broadcast TV crews in all of baseball. That certainly wouldn't help. But just a full facelift to Masson and how it works and getting some streaming to the consumer, that's got to be high on the list. If Rubenstein can get that done maybe by the 2025 season, that would be a huge feather in his cap. But there's one more thing. I, I put it down at number three, right? It, it it can be done after you get the spending and the Masson thing done. But John Angelos wasn't great with building relationships with people both inside and outside the organization. That's a big part of running a business. And that needs to be a big thing for David Rubenstein too. We'll get to that to finish off the pod coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel. Now, I've been talking about it all week, but that's because the Super Bowl is almost here, and it's a happy Super Bowl week to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. I I really do like the, the, the odd prop bets they always have around the Super Bowl. And FanDuel just has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or maybe two or even three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58 between the Chiefs and the 49ers, but FanDuel also has bets for which player will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. And new customers can join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So to finish things off here on this David Rubenstein to-do list episode as he is on track already. Again, the Baltimore Sun reporting on Wednesday that with the owners meeting in Orlando this week, they have already started discussions and the vetting process on approving Rubenstein to be the Orioles' new control person and owner. Again, they need a 75% yes vote from the other 29 owners in baseball. And just with how well-known he is and how much money he has, there's basically no chance this becomes a no. It's just about how much longer it takes them. It's going to be a yes, and Rubenstein pretty early here in the next couple of months probably is going to take over as the Orioles control person, which is big. And I think number one, he needs to infuse some cash into this team. Number two, he needs to make some changes at Masson for the better. And number three, the final thing I'll get to is just mending relationships. John Angelos severed a lot of relationships as Orioles owner with a lot of different parties involved in and around this team. David Rubenstein, first of all, he hosts multiple shows on Bloomberg, has done a lot of episodes. He is very comfortable talking with the public, interacting with the media, kind of being a part of the media where he has an interview show where he interviews a lot of the most powerful people in the world. They, they've done countless episodes over there. John Angelos Every time he has seemed to speak to the public over the last few years, he says something incredibly stupid, puts his foot in his mouth, and gets everyone to hate him even more. It seems like Rubenstein won't have that issue. That's at least the hope, and that's how it seems, and that's what he needs to f focus on. First of all, 
mend that relationship with the media. The media should always have a critical eye, especially on the team's owner. But if you can at least be transparent, not outwardly lie to everyone's faces, not say, hey, we're going to open the books for you, come back next week and lie about that multiple times, not berate a reporter for asking you a question about the financials of the team and about you selling the team, you getting offended, and then a year later, selling the team or getting offended that he asked you a question on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the day that you scheduled the press conference, I don't see David Rubenstein pulling anything like that. You never know, but I think with his media experience, that's probably not going to happen. Rubenstein should have and hopefully will have a higher level of professionalism, maybe be a little more straightforward when he does get up there in front of the media. But He's also got to mend relationships with others that are outside of the warehouse. The fans as well. It kind of goes along with the things he said to the media. I mean, talking to the Wall Street Journal and saying, oh, if we give out one big extension, we're going to have to raise ticket prices and all hell's going to break loose over here. That was, first of all, a lie and just insulting to Orioles fans who have stuck around this long through this long, grueling rebuild. And every time he just made a fool of himself, it was like, the Orioles are the story this year. They are the story of Major League Baseball, and John Angelos is making them about himself. And it all culminated with clinchmas. The night they clinched the division, when they put on the screen in the third inning that the O's had agreed to a 30-year lease deal and basically fooled everyone. It was just a memorandum of understanding, which fell apart anyway. In no way was it a binding contract, but he made people think it was and got to celebrate in his booth and make it all about him on the night that should have been all about the Orioles finally turning things around and winning the AL East. We don't need an owner that's doing that anymore. We need someone that the fans are going to trust a little bit more to, of course, spend on the team, but also not make it all about him and not make a fool of himself every time he appears in public. Also, John Angelos completely, it seems like over the last few weeks, severed all these relationships with all of the lawmakers and public figures in the state of Maryland. I mean, you had even his good buddy, Wes Moore, talking about how disappointed he was in Angelos. You got multiple people in local government. I mean, Brooke Learman's been very outspoken about how they felt like John Angelos lied to their faces. They're disappointed and disgusted in him. Like, David Rubenstein needs to do a little bit better with those relationships, and I think he will because he's not a six-year-old toddler like John Angelos acts. But there's also the relationships inside the warehouse that he needs to mend. And you could argue that's even more important than mending the ones outside the warehouse because those are the people working for you. You want to make sure, of course, you have a good relationship with Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde. And you're extending those guys and keeping them around to keep their vision going and keep this team winning. But it's also, hey, maybe let's not suspend Kevin Brown for just stating facts on the air. Maybe let's even extend Kevin Brown, whose contract is going to be up here fairly soon. Let's keep one of the best young announcers in baseball around and calling games on Masson for this team. Let's not create this culture that John Angelos did, where these upper-level senior staffers basically act as Angelos' spies and minions and lurk around the warehouse, berating people and watching over their every move and knowing that you will get all the force of Angelos without him actually showing your face and being a coward and letting his henchmen and his minions do it. Let's not create that environment anymore. Let's let our PR staff actually work with the media and work with the fans and tell a better story for this Orioles team and these players. There's some good people who work on that staff and they're hamstrung 
by John Angelos. Let's get rid of this bad workplace culture that's been cultivated by Angelos and is hurting things at multiple levels inside the warehouse. Let's kind of reset that culture and let's not hold grudges against old players and employees. Let's not when Adam Jones leaves in free agency in 2018, let's not tell all your people, hey, we're not allowed to mention him in social media, in articles, in anything. For like five years until recently, he came back to the team, essentially. Let's not do things like that. Let's allow everyone to have a better work environment because if you are happier at work, your work is going to be better. That's not just for baseball. That's for any industry you could possibly be in. And the hope is that David Rubenstein, and it's not going to be all him. It's not like he's going to be walking around the warehouse every single day. But the people he delegates to, the people he brings in can also cultivate, hopefully, a good and, and at the very least a better environment for the Orioles players, the coaches, the staff, and the other employees that make this organization run. That is the hope. That is the goal. That is the to-do list. First three things for David Rubenstein when he officially becomes the control person of the Orioles. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And of course, make sure to subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. Also like and comment on the page. We're getting very close to 6,000 subscribers. We'll have a fun giveaway on the page when we get there, but you have to be subscribed to enter. One more episode coming up this week, a Friday pod, little Orioles news and notes to catch up on everything we missed this week. Austin Hayes winning his arbitration case against the O's and publicly wanting an extension. Jacob Webb won his case too. Some sponsorship news about possible naming rights to the Orioles stadium and a new beverage vendor in the stadium as well. And also the Orioles announced all of their new minor league coaching staff for 2024. We'll talk about people that have departed and the new names that will be coaching in the system this season. That's coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.